Hey folks, it's John from A's for Alcoholic again. Today's conversation is with Whitney W. They are the creator of the Sober Rabbit comics. And if you haven't heard of them, you should hear of them. Uh, great comics. It was great to talk to sit down with them and talk about sobriety and recovery and all of the things that come with it, all of the mundane minutia, which is the inspiration for the comics. We talked about their um, their active alcoholism, their sobriety, and the things that bring us to where we are now, the unexpected things. We talked about pain management, dealing with chronic pain and prescription drugs in sobriety. We talked about um, art and we talked about taking care of each other and asking for help. So without further ado, here is my conversation with the creator of Sober Rabbit Comics, Whitney W. Well, Whitney, thank you very much for doing this. I appreciate your time. Um, yeah, I, I I was turned on to you by Mishka Shubali. Mm-hmm. Uh, I took his um, I took his writing class earlier this summer. Oh, how cool! And in the writing sample that I had given him, there were some illustrations. And as we discussed going further with my project one of the things that he turned me on to were your comics. And um, as, as like, here's, here's one approach because ultimately Mm -hmm. what I was working on was, was going to have to be scrapped and redone in one Mm -hmm. fashion or another. And um, that was one of them. He was like, he's like, look at, look at sober rabbit as a, uh, (laughs) as a, um, (laughs) a template for, you know, sobriety yeah. cartoons if you're going to do illustrations so um Aww. that's kind of something that i've been i've been thinking about and you know i've been following mm-hmm. you ever since I, that was in june um oh wow and it's great stuff oh thank you so much first of all the fact that mishka knows who i am and knows my art i'm fangirling a little bit mm-hmm. <laughs> no that's so cool and then that's that's thank you that's really flattering the fact that anyone reads it at all tickles the hell out of me so Mm -hmm. anytime anyone has been like yeah I read one panel I'm like oh you did so that's that's so flattering thank you (laughs) well yeah and I think that the um the the thing that I like and it's in the in the tagline or the description where Mm -hmm. in one of one part of your website where it says um uh, there's a lot of talk about getting sober but not staying sober Mm -hmm. and I know that you know our podcast and our, our listeners, I mean, that's, that's what we, that's what we do because we've, we've gotten sober, right? Mm -hmm. We, we have, we have, you know, Jerry and I have kicked the habits as they Mm -hmm. say, and moved on from that, but it still creeps in the back of your head. And then there's, Mm -hmm. there's all kinds of other things to deal with, right? There's like all of the eating disorders and all of the, body dysmorphia from the eating mm-hmm. disorders and sure. <laughs> all of these yeah and anxieties. family trauma mm-hmm. yeah, yeah family trauma right mm-hmm. so and and we can always have uh we can have constant discussions about where alcoholism comes from and mm-hmm. i think that there there are many many different places but i think that all of these things exacerbate it regardless of where it comes from 
right? Mm -hmm. So I think that that is something that is um, that I find in your comics and is extraordinarily helpful to look at these very heavy situations with a little bit of humor and it doesn't hurt to have cute animals talking about these things, <laughs> right? Definitely. Yeah. Um, no, and go ahead. <laughs> oh, I was just gonna say, um, I I have said this before about the comic, but part of the reason why I started it was I think that there's tons of narratives, just whether that's in comics or movies. I mean, I think even video games address it now, but there's not a lot about staying sober. You know, there's a lot of rock bottom type stories out in the world. And I think that, um, you know, even sometimes people's first introduction to um, an artist is like a, a drunk memoir, you know, like, uh, like, what's their story? What's the worst stuff that happened? And for me, it's way harder as a sober person now to find stories about prolonged sobriety, you know, sustained mm -hmm. sobriety, because I think that there's a salaciousness to if somebody relapses, if somebody tries a different substance and breaks what they previously thought of, you know, as sobriety. So anyway, that's, that's, that was sort of the impetus to me to write about, okay, well, what happens when you have a couple of years, you know? Sure, sure. Um, so, and one of the things I like to ask people on here, one of my first questions is what is your, um, what is your earliest memory of alcohol? Either not necessarily as drinking it, but was it something that was in the household growing up or um, how long have you known about it as a, as a substance? Yeah, um, it's funny. I, uh, I'm currently visiting my parents in Arkansas. I'm in my hometown right now. Um, and uh, whenever I talk about um, alcoholism, I often talk about how uh, my dad owned a bar when I was a kid. And so <laughs> I was around drunk adults from my earliest memories. And then, you know, when, when I was a really little kid, we would go to the lake and hang out with his bar friends. And my dad, um, you know, hung out with industry peeps, with service industry people. And so as a little kid, drinking wasn't a mystery to me. I knew that adults drank and got drunk. It was kind of old hat to me, you know, as a, as a preteen. And I didn't ever think that I would drink alcohol kind of based on how my parents' friends acted. You know, there were fights, they were, you know, like disagreements and they fell asleep in their chair. You know, it was very like off-putting stuff, um, which is why uh, when I started drinking in high school, um, I didn't think that I would be that way. So when I was a little kid, I just thought, oh, well, adults drink and then they get drunk sometimes and other times they get sad. Um, and my parents, because um, my dad owned a bar and, you know, it was like business to them, they really weren't drinkers um, mm. and they weren't, um, uh, you know, that wasn't really part of their life other than the business side of things of running a bar. Um, so I had a very like bartender dad schedule as a little kid, but I wasn't someone who... Um, was told like, never touch this or, you know, drinking is a sin. You know, I, right. I just really, that wasn't my upbringing at all. It was more like, well, it exists and you can try it, you know, but it's kind of not our thing. I feel like bar owners that, that aren't alcoholics so. or don't, don't drink in that way are, are few <laughs> and far between. Um, <laughs> at least all of the owners that many of the owners that I've worked with, I bartended for about 12, 13 years. Um, mm -hmm they were there because they thought it was a good way for them to drink for free. 
Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, no, and it's not really a bad idea if if you're an alcoholic Mm -hmm. and you put it that way. Well, I'm at work. Why don't I do what I love? Right. Um, Yeah, and that just wasn't my, you know, experience as a kid. Oh, okay. Um, But it was a good experience. I mean, at least, I mean, it was not traumatic other than you seeing these other adults who were... um, you know, like you said, falling asleep in the chair, or getting into fights. You're like, yeah, this this is a, a warning sign. So, mm-hmm. what what changed in high school that made you think, oh, well, maybe I should try this? Well, I think that um, even when I was a kid, there was this awareness of like, oh, there is some danger associated with this. You know, like I had known as a kid that um, my dad had had several tussles with drinking people, with people who are on drugs, you know, that it was a physical danger to him sometimes. And so when I was a little kid, I sort of thought, okay, well, drinking is just something that adults do, all the adults that I know anyway. And, um, you know, I guess if I ever try it, like whatever, I just don't want to be that way. Um, Mm -hmm. And um, I had, you know, cousins and other people growing up. Um, I feel like in Arkansas anyway, it was fairly normal to drink when you're 12, 13, 14 at the lake, you know, have a beer, not have like a mixed drink, but you know, just like have a beer because it's hot, you know. Um, And so I didn't really uh, start drinking until the end of high school. I had a really bad breakup. And then um, one of the first things that happened to me, um, God, like maybe the second time that I drank was um, sexual violence. That was uh, something that happened um, real early in my drinking career in a way that, I didn't regard as trauma at the time, you know, I sort of regarded it as like, oh, well, if you're drinking, then this is just a thing that happens. And, you know, in particular, oh, I shouldn't have put myself in that position. And that's just kind of like the, um, the, the Southern spin on <laughs> sexual violence. You know, I grew up in a place that taught uh, abstinence only sex education. Um, I had friends who had had bad things happen to them of that variety and, you know, it was just sort of like thought of as like, oh, well, you know, you should, you were, you were where you shouldn't have been. And so of course this happened. And so I um, did what a lot of people I've since learned um, did when that sort of thing happened, which was I pushed it down and thought, okay, well, if I adopt this kind of party person persona, then I probably won't get hurt again. And people will think that I'm so tough that they wouldn't try me. Do you know what I mean? And um, mm-hmm. the more the more I've talked to sober people, um, regardless of gender, uh, which is a big shock to me, um, the more I found that a lot of people had really adverse sexual experiences in their first couple of years of drinking. And that for me anyway, you know, made me drink more. And that was like, a, um, you know, like a, a coping mechanism that I didn't even see as a coping mechanism. So that was kind of the first thing that that turned the gear from like, oh, this is a fun thing that I can do with my friends and, um, you know, to kind of turn off the self-censoring voice in my head and be less inhibited to, oh, this is a thing that if I drink this, I won't think about that bad stuff. And uh, I didn't realize then, I didn't realize then how damaging that was and that that was, you know, trauma. So, yeah. And to hold on to those things for so long Mm -hmm. and it, it, I, I'm always, again, we talk about trauma, sexual violence. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, I've, I dealt with a lot of abuse from my father Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. um, 
all of these things and we just kind of roll around in our head and we create this whole other story about it. And like you said, the things that we are taught, um, that I was in the wrong place at the wrong time, or that somehow I was responsible for these things when, when I was not Mm -hmm. the, the person, you know, I was not the, the person who was enacting the violence I was, or I was just a child. And, um, but, but years, decades, even later, we're still thinking in our head, gosh, if I had only, if only Mm -hmm. I had done this and Mm -hmm. to not process that and see that the responsibility was not ours, that we were, Mm -hmm. you know, the victim in those situations is, I think, one of the huge epiphanies of sobriety (laughs) that, that certainly for me came. Um, And so, in high school, you're drinking and now it's a coping mechanism and it's, and it, is it still, I mean, are we still having fun? Are we? Well, that's the thing that, you know, you get, you have all these um, revelations in sobriety, you know, or I have anyway, whether those are just like, oh, I was operating on this wrong idea. You know, for me, that's like a key sobriety skill of like um, a sponsor phrased it to me as like, you know, well, it was the wrong idea that you were telling yourself. And I think that that's an amazing way to be like, you weren't bad or stupid. You know, you, you formed this safe idea of, oh, it's just that I was bad. And then that excuses, you know, all these other people in your life. Um, but so, you know, I think that there were big rationalizations happening. Um, I had always been a kid that was very sensitive, sensitive little artist. Um, and I was someone who, um, was just very Southern and apologetic, you know? And so I'm the kind of person even now where like, if somebody bumps into me, I'm like, oh, sorry. <laughs> but I realized that um, the drinking helped with the anxiety and the depression that I was having. Um, it mm. took me until probably my second year of sobriety to realize that I'm someone who has anxiety. You know, I, I always thought that the um, depressive tendencies were very clear. You know, when I was in junior high and high school, I had the kind of depression where it was hard for me to get out of bed. I didn't eat much, you know, just classic textbook depression, which I'm sure had, you know, to do with puberty as well. Um, but so the drinking that I started as a fun party thing actually helped with, you know, mental health stuff. And that's something else that I think is true in sobriety that, um, you know, these, these mechanisms that you used to have. And maybe, you know, for me anyway, drinking helped, like it helped me early on. And so the, sure. the partying was fun, you know, and I feel like um, at the time I thought, oh, well, I'm not very good at this, but I like it. Like I'm someone who like, oh, like my biggest problem drinking was that I wouldn't pass out. And so uh, I would be partying well into the night and that's kind of how I wound up drinking with people that were older than me um Mm -hmm. because the you know teenagers my age weren't experienced but the seasoned alcoholics were like pull up a chair um so I feel like um you know in in high school and even early into college it was fun and it was framed as this is a fun thing and if you fall down and bump your head and throw up a little that's normal you know which now as an adult I'm just like oh my god like teenagers don't do this it doesn't have to be so vomity you know but like as a kid I was like this is great this is how it goes it doesn't have to be so vomity yes I think that it really it really doesn't Mm -hmm. it definitely it's what a what an amazing thing to look back and be like yeah it was just normal it just I mean I had a friend 
we had a friend who we would be standing outside of bars smoking cigarettes mm -hmm. and he would go kind of walk off a few feet over to the gutter, throw up, standing mm -hmm. up there and then come back and continue. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that was something that just like, I, I could never do that because for me, and I am vomiting was such a traumatic experience. Mm -hmm. Like I wasn't able to, as they say, boot and rally. Um, mm. but I, cause <laughs> I would get to the point where I would be, it would be so severe that I would burst all the blood vessels underneath my eyes. Oh, and yeah. so it looked like I'd have two black eyes the next mm -hmm. day. And so I did everything I could not to, but, um, but yeah, so it, <laughs> it doesn't have to be so vomity. And now I couldn't even imagine if I no. was, it would be, there would be something truly, truly wrong. And in need right. of <laughs> in need of, yeah. uh, of assistance, in need of attention. No, totally. Um, have you have you gotten sick in sobriety and been mad that you've thrown up? Because like that's something that's happened to me. Where it's like I thought I got all this behind me. Like right? I think I've done yeah. my time. <laughs> right. No, and I've gotten. I've had. I've had a few sicknesses where I'm just like, gosh, this is. Oh, this is what because I'd forgotten what a hangover was like, and I'd wake up and yeah. I'm like, my head hurts and I'm achy and mm -hmm. I'm nauseous and I was like. Mm -hmm. Oh God, this is, this is, that's right. So yeah, in a small way, a good reminder to not do those things. Um, Absolutely. So, so as the drinking continues through college and, and mm -hmm. so on and so forth. Um, and I don't want to dwell again, too much time on that, but were there sure. some, were there some pivotal points in that drinking that led to like, maybe were there multiple rock bottoms? Did you just have the one yeah. that was like, boom, I had I no. quit? Yeah, no, no, no. There were, there were plenty. I sort of described my drinking as like, I kept finding a lower bottom. And I think a lot of people say something similar of like, you think this lowest thing is really low and it's lower. In, um, in college, I went to school and started out as an English major, but then quickly wound up with the crazy theater kids because they drank like I did. And so um, I bring that up a lot because um, I was operating under this idea that to be artistic meant that you had to be this mess, like the more conflict, like the more, um, you know, complicated situations you're in, that's great for your art. And I feel like that was something that was very tied into my college party of like, we also had this set schedule where you would rehearse and it was intense and, you know, you didn't eat all the time and you, you bled theater, you know, it was very unhealthy. Um, <laughs> but so I did that and um, it sort of was kind of toxic as a schedule because there would be rehearsal and then you would put on the show and then you would party and it would just do that over and over again you know for many semesters uh you know until I graduated and um the thing about that is I figured out how to make it functional for me which is you have to hold your shit together just long enough to you know be on stage or to get the lights going or whatever and then afterwards you're rewarded with party yeah and so that sort of set in motion this idea of like, oh, if I can contain my drinking to the weekends, or if I can contain it until alcoholic, because um, reasons, because I'm not in jail all the time, or because I'm not kicked out of school, then that means that I'm out 
not an alcoholic. And now I look back, you know, instantly. So, well, I'm not an alcoholic because I take their inventory, like any listeners, but, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, that was the thought that I constantly had of like, oh, well, this is a problem because, you know, fill in the blank. And so I kept having, you know, I would screw up opportunities for jobs, I would screw up opportunities for parts, um, you know, missed deadlines, you know, and so that doesn't seem like the biggest end of the world stuff, but the result was that I low-key missed out on so much stuff and so many friendships and so many alliances in the arts because I was a mess, and maybe I was a functional mess, but, you know, I was still a mess all through college and all through my my 20s, really. Yeah, yeah. What was the... um... Yeah, I do. I do know the the idea of missed opportunities. I still have, there was a friend of mine who um, I was with backstage at a big rock concert and he was close friends with uh, the band, the killers. Oh, he, yeah. he had worked with them and he knew them. I went to high school with the drummer. Um, we were never close, but uh, mm-hmm. and I'm, this is not to say this is not to make me sound important in in a second you'll understand but um and I was so drunk and I was just so like I'm here and we're backstage and you know we're like just I'm having the blast and he said something to me we were talking about meeting people we were talking about meeting um important people and in radio this was something that i was i was passionate about at the time was being a dj on the radio and stuff like Mm -hmm. that and he's like john i would i would totally introduce you to these people if you weren't so drunk oh god and like that just inside like a little part of me died you know that Mm -hmm. sort of i missed that opportunity that i had i not been drunk um, and then this was another, another one was, uh, a guy that I respect a bartender at the time. And he, he owns his own bar. And, and he said, John, I, I would, I would, I would totally hire sober John, but I wouldn't hire mm. drunk John. And I was like, Oh God. Ugh. And again, a little bit more of me died. Right. These people yeah. were just being honest. And I think that mm-hmm. they, they didn't mean any, like they were not trying to hurt me, but they were just like, yeah. oh, this is not going to happen. So, yeah. uh, I completely Oof. relate with the, the uh, missed opportunities and trying to drag myself away from living in regret, you know, because it's not Mm -hmm. helpful now. Mm -hmm. What was the last mess that you got yourself that, 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 um, that, that brought you to sobriety? Well, I uh, went to school for theater. Um, I wound up dropping out as a senior Um, I had a lot of eating disorder related problems on top of alcoholism and drug addiction. I was just unwell. Um, And then I was in the visual arts world for a little bit and um, kind of failed up there a little bit. Um, But then I went back and finished my degree at the main university in Fayetteville. And just at the end of that, um, I discovered stand-up comedy. And that was the gateway drug to full-blown alcoholism Um, because, you know, similar to service industry stuff, um, talk about drinking for free, you know, talk Mm -hmm. about like being with people that are just as poisonously alcoholic as you are. Um, So I was very invested in theater and visual arts. And then I was like, oh, what? Wait, stand up is way easier. And so in 2013, I was like, I'm in, you know, and mm-hmm. I threw down and um, was a stand up comedian and started doing my own show and um, then started traveling and then started getting into festivals. And 
there's also another toxic thing where it's like, that's a great world to be an active addict because it's nonstop socializing. It's being at bars 24 seven. It's only knowing service industry people. And so long story short, um, I moved to Chicago in 2015 and um, I did all the same things that I did as um, a Southern drinking road comic, you know, except in much higher stakes of like, okay, and like now do this in a city, 4 million people, you know? And um, it just kept getting more dangerous and more dangerous. And, you know, I have all the war stories where I got hurt, I hurt other people, like, of course those exist. But for me, the demoralizing stuff was really the quiet sadness of, you know, I'm ruining my life, I'm ruining my relationships. And so my final night of drinking in August, 2016 was a great night. I saw Maria Bamford, one of my awesome. favorite comedians. I hung out with my friends, a friend of mine opened, like it was just great green lights. And I still drank like it was the end of the world. And so I tell a lot of people, you don't necessarily have to have this story where you crash your car and you lost <laughs> somebody and you know, uh, you ruined every opportunity. It can just be the last straw in a series of huge fuck ups. Um, so for me, I woke up the next day and instead of being like, ah, shucks, like I, <laughs> I screwed up again. Um, I was throwing up blood. It had been a couple days. I had called an Uber to completely the wrong part of the city. I had walked for miles to the wrong place. I mean, it was just a, a mess. And the thing that was terrifying was that night wasn't really unlike any other night for me. You know, it, it wasn't like I had been beaten down until I had to change something. It was that I had been living my life like that for so many years that like, I just sort of wore out, you know? Um, so I woke up the next day in my gross garden level moldy apartment and was like, oh shit, this isn't going to kill me in the future. This is going to kill me now. You know, this isn't, I was 29 and I had this vague notion in my head that um, I would need to quit in my thirties, which again, is not what an average person thinks. I don't think about drinking. Um, and I was terrified and I was beaten down and, you know, I, the gift of desperation, as some people say. Um, and that made me Google sober help meetings near me help sober drinking help me and mm -hmm. i'm just so lucky that like that hit at the right moment you know what i mean that i was willing to give something else a shot um yeah 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 i guess i had a similar moment too of it was no that well there was a relationship that i had destroyed but um mm. that 100 my fault um mm -hmm. and but it, there was this moment of like all of this I'm going to lose everything that I have and I don't have that much. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so there were a few good things that, that had happened and I was like, that's going to go away and that's going to go away and that's going to mm -hmm. go away. And it was just that sort of, I don't know what you call it, like a medium, a mid bottom, you know, mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have a run in with the law or anything mm -hmm. like that. I, I didn't, you know, there was, there was nothing like that, but, um, yeah, just that that sort of slow, hazy epiphany that maybe something mm. might have to change here and nobody's coming to do it for me. <laughs> right? And that's a terrifying thing to be like, oh, I'm alone. It is mostly my fault. I am miserable. You know, like it's mm -hmm. just I I tell a lot of people like 
if you are miserable, it's okay to maybe not be miserable. You know what I mean? I thought at some point that I deserved it, you know, like I was just so, I had messed things up so bad that I thought that I had deserved it and that it would stay that way. Yeah. What did the, um, what did the Google search, um, give you? What did you find that day? Well, um, this is how bad I was in. Uh, when I lived in Arkansas, I swear to you, if I knew anybody that was in the program, they did not tell me. I had never been around sober people. And I think that's by virtue of being Southern, <laughs> um, you know, being Southern, being queer, being poor, you know, all these things. I didn't know anybody that went to rehab, um, mm. you know, no close friends of mine. Nobody right. really got better. People just sort of drank until they died um, or used until they accidentally died. Um, but so I had no recovery, anything in my life. And um, I had a friend that I was worried about before I moved. And as a last ditch effort to see if someone, not me, a drinker, could help this friend, I had looked up um, 12 step groups in Arkansas before I moved to Chicago. And this is so sad, but it's so true. Whenever I called them, I said, Hey, um, I live, you know, I live in Fort Smith. I'm looking for help for my friends. Do you like, are there sober meetings here? <laughs> Cause I just, I literally thought in my hometown that no one was sober and they're like, yeah, no, we're here. And I was like, Oh, okay, cool. Um, and then I gave them this big story about my friend and I'm sure the person sitting in the office was like, Oh yeah, your friend. Mm -hmm. Um, but so um, what I remembered, you know, years later when I was in Chicago was this person that I had spoken to in the 12 step office had no judgment. There was no judgment to their voice. Um, there wasn't any, what did you do? You know, like in the way that someone who was always in trouble is expecting, you know, the other shoe to fall. So when right. I Googled, when I Googled sober help near me, meetings help 12 step, um, there was a meeting really close to my apartment. And I thought, you know, this is close enough to my apartment. This is in a couple of days. These people seem nice. They probably won't yell at me. And I feel like, um, you know, there's the Paul F. Tompkins bit about how he like led his whole life trying not to get yelled at. I think that was kind of mm -hmm. me too. And, but so I, I wound up doing a thing that I had never done before, which was accepting help. And so I went to this meeting um, in a church, which blew my mind. I continue to be an atheist. I went to a church and instead of being these old straight white guys that I thought were going to throw the Bible at me, because my only concept of 12 step groups was there's a higher power and it's kind of like church. Like that's just sort of like what I had gleaned from movies and, and that sort of thing. Um, instead, it was a lot of really funny really bleak people sitting around a table and they're like you look like shit do you want some help and that was pretty much it you know the, the mere fact that I didn't feel judged that I didn't have anybody else that wanted to talk to me you know what I mean yeah um that that led me there you know and I'm so glad I went I think that's such a good point and I I had never thought about it that way it's just that these people they're not here to judge me they're not they're and you know if I'm to be completely honest, my time in 12 steps have, have taught me that everybody's just there looking for help themselves. Yeah. There's not a lot of room for judgment. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That's not mm -hmm. what people are interested in. And like, what a great thing. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. They're not going to judge me because they're not my, I didn't hurt them. I didn't, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't yell at them. I didn't, 
piss on the sidewalk in front of their bar. That was me. I haven't swindled them yet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I haven't lied or cheated or stolen yeah, from them yet. Totally. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, what, a, what, that's just a really good point that I've never heard um, vocalized. Well, so you went to I a feel, meeting? Yeah, I went to a meeting hmm. and I feel like, um, you know, the past, the subsequent years of, of staying in the program and, and surrounding myself with sober people, um, it really opened me up to a lot of those wrong ideas I had in that um, I thought that narcissism was like loving yourself and being like, I am the shit. I have all the answers. But I think that the kind of depression that I have had was sort of a similar self-absorption to, and, and anxiety as well, but of like, everybody's looking at me. Everybody's afraid that I'm going to mess up. Everybody's, you know, like, oh, they're all judging me. And in reality, nobody really cares in your life, they really don't. Your family and friends, they love you. But whenever you walk into a group situation, nobody's thinking that person's weird. I'm judging, you know, like maybe you have a split second judgmental thought of like, that's a dumb shirt. You know, I hate the big bang theory, like whatever it is, but really nobody's like monitoring you under a microscope. And I don't know why it is that I'm someone who has always been so self-conscious, but I realized that, you know, these are damaged people too. These are people who have messed up their lives in some way. Um, but the biggest thing that I got from the meeting that I still get to this day from Zoom meetings is here's a room full of people who are working on themselves mm -hmm. and they are most of the time genuinely wanting to get better. And I can't think of another environment where that exists. Like surely there's a support group of some other type where there's people that, you know, want to get better. Or there's therapy support groups, but, you know, walking into a meeting for alcoholics or for addicts is a unique experience, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's helpful. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely, um, it is definitely a unique experience and I, I, <laughs> I, I agree with you a hundred percent and it's been a while since I've been to an actual, uh, meeting because of everything mm -hmm. that's happened. And, mm -hmm. um, I, I can tell <laughs> in my, you know, in myself. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. And I think the thing that I get from those meetings or even on zoom, which, which mm -hmm. has not been my favorite, but has been, and I know a lot of people have loved it and have found mm -hmm. it. And I, I know people who, who got sober in 2020 through mm -hmm. zoom meetings, which is yeah. amazing to me, mm -hmm. but that being able to just sit there and I'm not required to say anything and I'm not required to necessarily participate. Now I have learned that participation actually helps <laughs> the healing process and it's important. Yeah. And if I don't feel like participating, that probably means I should participate more, mm -hmm. but, um, being able to just sit there and even mm -hmm. in those long, awkward silences where nobody says anything for minutes on end, you know, and you're like, this is weird. Like, mm -hmm. well, why, well, why don't you say something, John? So, um, mm -hmm. like, is anybody gonna say anything? Should I say something? Because this is, is this not weird? Yeah, everybody? And, and I'm like, a, and I can, I talk for money professionally, uh -huh. so as, as you do as well. So, I feel like I have that, like, jump in and say something. And I have to sometimes buck that urge and just be like, man, for some people to be at the meeting for 60 minutes or an hour 15 and not drink is the win of the day. Yeah. If you're sitting there not drinking and not using, yeah. You're crushing it. You know what I yeah. mean? Like you, mm -hmm. you really don't have to fill the silence. So I like that too. It's mm -hmm. helpful. Yeah. Um, so, so you've been, you've been sober since August. Uh, so you just had a, you just had a five-year anniversary. So is that I correct? did. 
Yeah, birthday? I just um, uh, days ago uh, celebrated five years, and it's congratulations. Um, thank you so much. I, you know, and just to say this as I do on every anniversary, I am someone who thought I would never get sober, who never thought that I would go to a damn meeting in a church, who never thought that I would be friends with people who are religious. You know, some of them I've met in the program, you know, all these things in my head, solid, written in stone, never. So the fact that I just celebrated five years, like if you're thinking, I could never get sober, you could, you probably could, you know? (laughs) uh, You probably could. I mean, I I think anybody Mm -hmm. could, if they, if they, if they want it and if they're interested mm-hmm. in it, or even if you're just curious, you know, I went to my yeah. very first, my very first AA meeting. I was drunk as hell at like <laughs> oh, eight o'clock no. in the morning. I had been drinking all night, oh, no. but I was like, and I talked to this guy on the phone and I was drunk mm-hmm. and he wasn't on, that was an AA hotline. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, I just stayed up. Cause that's what I would do alone in my apartment is just drink until yeah. the sun came up and then pass yeah. out. And I remember, um, I called a cab and I paid the cab to stay there in the parking lot of the meeting <laughs> Oh man! because I needed to have a way out. It was insane. Yeah. It was just oh. absolute insanity. And I don't remember if I left, I must've left early. It was mm-hmm. all a haze. Cause I, like I said, I'd been drinking oh, no. for like eight hours and then went yeah. to an AA meeting and I was yeah. like, who are all these people? This is so fucked. I don't belong here. <laughs> Yeah. It's and, like you're you're simultaneously like I'm better and then worse than all of these people. Yes. Yes. And <laughs> and then to come to like come to the realization like this is a really good place to be. Mm-hmm. This is really helpful. Yeah. I should come back here more often. You know. Yes. Yeah. For real. Um, so so five years sober. Mm-hmm. I do obviously the reason how I found you and, and mm-hmm. what I, what I found you for was this sober rabbit. And can you, mm-hmm. can you explain to me who, what the sober yeah. rabbit is? Totally. Yeah. I, uh, well, it's funny, you know, there's been so much that's happened in the past couple of years that it's really, it's hard for me sometimes to be like, wait, when did my life change? When did this, um, in 2019, I was having a bad time. I had been working in the corporate world um in the daytime and then being um a touring comedian at -hmm. night and so that was a really like strange dichotomy you know too but um I was sort of pushed out of the position that I'd had in a long time had for a long time because of corporate restructuring and moved to a different office and my job changed and so that was at the beginning of 2019 and then um you know, in even more corporate restructuring, I was laid off very suddenly. Um, my whole department was, you know, it was a big shift. And um, I found myself without the safety net that I had gotten in my second month of sobriety. It was my first sober job. It was a good job, you know, and mm-hmm. um, I had never really had a big kid job like that because I, again, was an addict. Um, but so 2019 was just very tumultuous. And then um, I had been unemployed for a couple months and it was very scary. I wasn't sure that I could stay in Chicago. And, um, I had found a new job at a company that I probably shouldn't name, but I'll give you a hint. They sell iPhones. Um, so I was working at this big, mm-hmm. uh, plush company and I had just finished training and was, um, I had started the job in earnest when I was walking to a stand-up show at night, Oh, it was, I guess, almost night. Um, I was walking down a street that I had uh, 
uh, walked down a million times before and a tired nurse leaving work um, ran two stop signs and hit me mid crosswalk running me over. So I went from being a person who was out every night doing standup to someone who couldn't walk anymore. And earlier in October, days before that happened, actually, I had started doodling um, this comics, this comic strip, basically. And a friend of mine who was sober said, that's so funny. You should just do something with that. Just like launch it. You know, pe enough sober people would like a comic to read. So you should do it. So I had thought of Sober Rabbit as kind of a one off sort of like far side, you know, sort of strip about sobriety, like one panel, like very simply drawn. And then I went to having to sit because of my broken foot and broken body. And um, so what started out as a comic that I updated um, once a week turned into a comic that I updated three days a week. And now I have a Patreon and now I have an LLC and now I am a full-time artist kind of by necessity. Um, but basically the germ of the idea was um, I was reading all these recovery memoirs. I was obsessively watching the Craig Ferguson sobriety monologue. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen that one. I oh, have, yes, so I have good. seen it. It's very yeah. good. Yes. Oh, I love yes. it. But so I was absorbing like all this recovery stuff and it just stuck out to me that like, <clears throat> No one really talks about the boring, like, okay, now you go to a meeting, maybe you try some yoga, maybe you meditate, you know, there's the, there's that lovely book by Leslie Jameson, uh, The Recovering, that talks about a lot of when a lot of famous artists got sober, and then like what happened to them. Um, and it's real sad. <laughs> but, uh, but there's not really a lot that I found anyway, about staying sober and so um that's what I wanted to write about and so I came up with something that was easy to draw a rabbit um that a white rabbit works in black and white and then I came up with rabbit's friends uh Brenda who is a big anxious pigeon um so rabbit is kind of small and depressive and and Brenda is big and anxious and then I just sort of filled out this world of who are the animals that they would know what are meetings like for these little animals like what are their coping mechanisms and they're they're pretty um, personified, you know, they're, they're anthropomorphic, whatever. <laughs> I don't mm -hmm. know what the right word is, but they, they're like people, but they're basically these little animals, you know, dealing with addiction, like we do as humans. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's so, so there was no artwork prior to the sober rabbit. You were not a, you were not a, an illustrator prior to that. I, well, that's, that's one of those wonderful gifts in sobriety. I, was hammered for so long that um, as a theater actor and as a stand-up comedian, it's fairly cut and dry to be like, I will think of these words and then stand um, Maintaining an art practice during active addiction wasn't something that I really stuck with. I had the brief right. uh, time of, I won a grant. I opened an art gallery. I drank away all of the grant money. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so I just couldn't get my shit together enough to sit down and draw. But when I was a little kid, what I, what I wanted to be was a cartoonist. And so it really took full circle sobriety and now disability to, you know, settle me down. And I've had really funny um, old timers in the program be like, um, yeah, like you, you getting crippled and getting back to your art is a God moment. <laughs> and I'm just like, that's a little offensive, but also maybe they're kind of right that it took this whole long, painful journey to get me to sit down and draw, you know? Do you, I don't know. I mean, you, you uh, yeah. Yeah. Does that, does it feel that way to you ever or? 
sometimes because the stuff that I what I'm finding with the comic is the stuff that I think that is the most embarrassing and basic and painful um that's the stuff that people go oh yeah that I feel that way and I'm just like are you kidding me (laughs) like because you know I'm I'm sure that all artists have that feeling of like something that you write is personal and embarrassing and horrible turns out to be universal and that's why people like it because they relate to it. So yeah, so I only had a couple of doodles and then once I was seated on the couch for months ahead of time, that's when I really got rolling with, oh, this could be a longer story, you know? So so the accident happened early in sobriety mm-hmm. and then in that recovery process, was there ever any thoughts of relapse or drinking again or anything of that nature? Yeah, totally. Um, when I was suddenly pulled away from stand-up because I literally couldn't stand up anymore, um, it was a huge shift in my recovery and also just in my day-to-day because um, I was, I guess, close. I guess I'd hit three years when that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was someone who had built up this huge recovery social life of going to meeting, getting coffee with sober people, um, you know, kind of sponsor sponsee stuff all the time and um and then stand up and then my full-time job and so I was just a very active person and so all of a sudden when I couldn't go to my coping mechanism meetings anymore um it was a huge blow and the the harder thing that I that is true and should be said even though I hate it is um I lost a lot of friends um there's a lot of people who sort of were like my drinking buddies, you know, who were in my wider orbit, but they weren't really the type that would, you know, help you out if you had a flat, you know, or anything like that. And so it was tough to realize as an adult, like, oh, no, I I don't have as many friends as I thought I did. And that was something that, um, you know, in tandem with needing to occasionally take painkillers for my crushed foot, like, oh, crap, like, I'm isolated, I'm miserable, I'm pissy no one cares, you know, like the, the spiral of shame and misery started again. And I had to really catch myself and not just go to the limp to the liquor store or wheel myself over there, you know? Right. It was rough. Yeah. I've always been, um, concerned about things like painkillers. And, Mm -hmm. um, I think I also got a prescription for some sort of Valium because I had to take an MRI, which Mm -hmm. I wasn't, I didn't want to take. And then I couldn't do the MRI because I'm super claustrophobic because Mm -hmm. turns out, you know, memories of my father pinning me down and, you know, wrestling with me and thinking it was funny that I couldn't get up as a child. Oh, sure. And I'm like, Oh shit. Is that why I can't do the MRI that I need to understand Mm -hmm. what's wrong with my body? And I'm like, Oh God, do I take the Valium? Like, I don't want to take the Valium. So like all that, that yeah. insanity and first thing in the morning. Um, yeah. but, but also I, I had a, a minor surgery, um, in, I got a vasectomy in 2018. Oh, and, good for you. Well, thank you. <laughs> yes. I think it's the best thing, especially with, um, things that are going on right now in the world and, um, the abortion laws in Texas and mm-hmm. everything else. I think it is by far Aside from getting sober, it's the second best thing I have ever done. And I can't suggest it enough to any guys yeah. out there who nice. um, uh, like, yeah, I mean, I, I wrote a whole essay about it for uh, Mishka's <laughs> class and then had to read it in front of a bunch of academic <laughs> Yale people. Love and it. then later when I was talking to him, I think it was an email and I was like, oh my God. 
I just, there was all this really painful, traumatic, like dramatic stuff being read. And these people are pouring their hearts out. And I went, all mine was a three page dick joke. He's like, my entire career has been a dick joke, John. It's fine. (laughs) It went over really well. So, um, but they gave me pain pills and I didn't want to take them. So I just, I didn't. Mm -hmm. And so I always Mm -hmm. think about that. Like, you know, when you talk about taking pain pills for the pain, I don't want to be one of these people that's, I mean, obviously when it's, too much you have to because you have to get through not even get through life get through the day get through the next hour try to get some sleep right so um i don't know what my question is in there other than um how do you manage pain medication when you actually need it as a sober person right right well that's um it's funny when i was in the emergency room after being hit by a car um it's funny in chicago they just kind of weren't impressed because it wasn't gun violence, you know? So they're like, oh, you're hit by a car. That's normal. Um, and the whole reaction in the ER was very cavalier. (laughs) And, um, so they were like, well, I don't know, like, do you want, we can give you opioids. And I was just sort of like addict. No, no. And, um, pills were never in particular, my problem. They also weren't not my problem. You know what I mean? And so I I was like, (laughs) (laughs) so, um, at the time I refused those kinds of painkillers. And I think now in retrospect, that was a little bit to my detriment. I think I was a little too afraid of like I would werewolf out and then suddenly relapse. Um, and now um, it's it's a long story, but basically because of um, bad health coverage, because of the type of insurance that the woman who hit me had, because of COVID delaying a lot of stuff, um, my foot hasn't healed. Um, and it turns out that I have uh, post-traumatic arthritis, which is a whole different ball game than, than what started uh, what it started as. I thought that I had a broken foot that wasn't getting better. Turns out my bones are dust. Um, it's more like osteoarthritis basically, and there's no fix for it. So, um, I am now dealing with chronic pain and that is where I am having to be very cautious about, um, being prescribed opioids about, um, you know, like developing, um, an addiction to anything, you know, I really have to think about it. And I am not at this moment, taking any pain pills. The only time that I've done that in sobriety was um, some gnarly dental surgeries where I I pretty much had to. Um, But it's interesting because um, chronic pain management is a a whole new ball game for me. And I've met a lot of people who use um, medical marijuana to feel better. And that's, I've changed my perspective on that. You know, I previously was a very hardcore abstinence only kind of person. And I've met people who have debilitating illnesses, you know, that they take CBD for and they take THC stuff. Um, I, I try to teach sea lotion on my foot just experimentally to see if that would help. Doesn't get you high, uh, made my foot feel tingly. That was it. Um, but you know, I just, I say that to stress that I had this certain idea of, um, what sobriety was. And now that I'm in the chronic pain management community, um, it's different. You know, some people use responsibly. Um, some people use stuff like morphine and, and all these things that, you know, when I was a teenage dirtbag, I was like, I'll adjust that. Like, let's go. Are you kidding me? And so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very new to, to starting this stuff. I'm going to be, you know, probably leg brace wheelchair is where I'm bound. Um, but, uh, but it's different. And it's something that, um, I run by sober people a lot when I question it, you know, and I, I even have, um, 
this wonderful community of chronic illness, chronic pain, sober people that I can talk to. So, you know, I, I just have to accept help and then also be realistic about my limitations. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's definitely something just within the, the past year um, that I have come to, I mean, I, I, I'm a little more lax about what I think sobriety is not in, mm -hmm. well, it, it's about the intention, right? It's about what mm -hmm. is my intention is my intention to just get high. Mm -hmm. Um, then there might be an issue there. Is it irritable, restless, and discontent? And I just want relief, mm -hmm. right? So am I using a drug to get relief? Well, what kind mm -hmm. of relief is it, John? Is it relief from yeah. not working your program or is it relief from something that is actually wrong in your body that you need to yeah. not feel for the next couple of hours so that you can enjoy life in some way so that you can mm -hmm. do the thing that actually takes away those feelings of irritable, restless, and discontent. So mm -hmm. I think that's kind of, you know, I have a friend who, you know, considers himself sober, but he is THC, CBD, all that stuff, but he doesn't mm -hmm. drink and doesn't do anything else. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that's great for him. You know, and I, mm -hmm. I, have, I continue to meet people that have these mm -hmm. other um, ideas about sobriety. And I'm like, well, I really respect what they do and um, how they manage themselves. And so far be it for me to be what I'm going to gatekeep recovery and mm -hmm. sobriety. Like, <laughs> nobody. No, absolutely not. So, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's so individual. And that's something that I try and toe the line with in the comic, um, because I like to talk about stuff um, related to is this something that you're using medicinally or is this something that you're using recreationally? Right. And it can be harmful you know, there's a lot of pop culture instances of this, like the Demi Lovato documentary recently, where, you know, they use marijuana instead of drinking, I think, or instead of heroin or something. And, you know, a lot of sober people argue this is harmful because or this is useful because. And so I try to inject the comic with some of those discussions because I find them fascinating. You know, I want to know what other people have to say about what they think sobriety is. And I also just always want to hear what helps other people, you know? So I, so I try and be respectful about it in the comic, but it is something that I push a little bit because it's something that's interesting to me, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, again, with, with the, going back to the comic, um, mm -hmm. excuse me, I think what draws me in is some of the, I don't want to say, I don't want to use the word, not boring, but the, <laughs> You know, like the, this, there's all this little minutia that we all go through every mm -hmm. single day and we mm -hmm. just kind of don't talk about it because it is the minutia and it's just do mm -hmm. the little things. And so when I'm reading this comic, I'm going, I relate to that because those are the same thoughts that I had again, you know, going back to that. Oh yeah. That's what everybody thinks. It's not, it's not the private, dark, embarrassing, um, exactly. boring thing. It is this universal experience of just living life and then having that, well, I'm going to have to be sober on top of it. Yeah. Well, so thank you. To... That's yeah. That's so kind to say that, um, that you relate to it. Um, cause for me, some of the hardest adjustments have been the little things have just been the little things of 
I have to meditate now. That's a thing that I have to do. And like 16 year old me would just be like rolling, you know, you meditate, you huge wuss, you have to take time out of, you meditate. But, um, but the reality is that if I do the little sober things like meditating, tending to my little apartment garden, if I call another alcoholic instead of be insane, I feel better, you know? Yeah. And while there's a big sea changes, like maybe you do lose your friend group and maybe you don't continue that line of work and maybe you don't continue that relationship. Maybe you move, you know, there are big adjustments in sobriety. The little adjustments are good too, you know, like it's, they can be life-changing mm-hmm. if you do little self-care things. Yeah. Yeah. What, um, what do you think is like right now, what is your biggest, or do you have like, what is your, what is your biggest struggle in sobriety? today or with it I i think it's related to that i think it's um i feel like since day one of sobriety i've been saying that um trying to find a healthy balance in everything is really hard for me um i'm someone who is very intense i'm a very big perfectionist even now even when i know that that's silly and no one gives a shit and i'm in you know i'm imparting like all these like concepts on myself that do that I would never judge other people by um you know that's the struggle for perfection whatever that is 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 really difficult and it's something that I'm actively combating by drawing my crappy (laughs) of like it is not you know I will say and I'm not fishing for compliments it's not the best drawn it's not the most finished but I'm putting it out you know I'm putting it out every week as best I can Um, and so that's something that I'm working on. I also deal with, um, and this sucks, but it's something that I, you know, in the way that when you go to a meeting and you're like, I don't want to talk about this, this is probably the thing that you should talk about. Um, I struggle a lot with with professional jealousy, you know, with a lot of, um, and not just that, but like the idea that I am behind, I'm behind in doing all these things. And I, and by having this big active addiction that I missed out or that, you know, and, and that isn't real. And I know it isn't real, but the pandemic really, really put a stop to a lot of stuff that I was doing. And like, like everybody, you know, I'm not special. Um, so there's just been a lot of, um, a lot of kind of recalibrating and reshifting um, in the past couple of months and years, you know, and now I um, am, <laughs> I'm disabled now, you know, so that's another big layer and filter um on top of everything you know so the the mobility stuff is big and new for me and the feeling like I'm not doing enough is big and I think that all of that just sort of could be summed up with balance gotta find balance yeah for sure for sure um it's constant like is this enough is this too much can Mm -hmm. I do this what should Mm -hmm. I do did I did I squander last week? Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, now I'm stressed out about today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> can I, can I forgive myself for squandering mm-hmm. yesterday? Was it really a squander? Can I just enjoy myself and be at peace for a moment? And I think too, that's mm-hmm. where the things like meditation can come in and help. And that I've probably should have done a little bit more of that prior to my MRI. I would have been probably been a little more okay in the tube. Um, mm. But um, <laughs> I, what, what I think the last question I want to ask you is um, what advice would you give to somebody who's listening and, you know, is thinking about sobriety or, mm-hmm. or interested in it in some way or fashion? 
I, I would say if it's something that you're curious about, um, it's okay to dip your toe in a little bit. Um, I'm someone who still very much is a victim to black and white thinking of, I have to be, uh, I have to be entirely sober. I can't just work out a little, I have to be an Olympian. You know, I, I'm very extreme in my thinking. And the reality is that um, you got to do what's best for you. And if you're curious about something um, like, like recovery, check it out, you know, read a, read a book, listen to a podcast, watch the Craig Ferguson <laughs> sobriety model. It's yeah. so good. Um, but no, I, I would just say um, it doesn't have to be an overnight thing. You don't have yeah. to change your life overnight. And for me, it took years of thinking about quitting. And the only regret that I have now, really, if I'm honest, is that I didn't try a meeting sooner. Um, because I think I built quitting up to be this huge monumental, I have to tell everyone, I have to shout it from the mountaintops. And you can if you want to, I did, mm -hmm. but you don't <laughs> have to, you know? So I would just say, if you're somebody who thinks that you have a problem with drugs or alcohol, you might, you know, of the people that I've talked to, I'm not sure that people who aren't addicts think those thoughts, but, um, you know, I wish I would have explored it. I wish I would have dipped my toe in and I wish I would have accepted help earlier. So I would just also stress that there's so much help out there. It doesn't seem like it. And especially if you're embarrassed and penniless and everybody's mad at you and you're mad at you, it's so ugly to be yes. like, Hey, Hey, can you help? You know, but it's, it's, a, it can change your life. If you just say, can you pick me up? You know, like, let's go, let's give it a shot. Um, yeah. And it, it did for me anyway, just yeah. saying I am in trouble with myself and I need help change my life. Yeah. Asking for help. And I know that um, mm -hmm. it's such a, it's such a big thing, even, and you also mentioned something um, you said something about going to extremes, you know, black and white thinking, and it's mm -hmm. gotta be all or nothing. And mm -hmm. I was at the um, physical therapist and mm -hmm. she was having me do these like hamstring pulls or stretches. Mm -hmm. And she's like, she's, she, I guess she was looking at my face and she's like, she says, you're grimacing, John, are you, are you somebody, <laughs> are you somebody who, you know, obviously you need to stretch more. That was, but that was the big takeaway. But she said, are you somebody who tries to go and, you know, go further and do as much as possible, as much as possible. And I just blurted out, I said, yeah, as a recovering alcoholic, it's kind of like my thing. <laughs> that my wasn't, thing. you know, that's, and that it wasn't, I didn't even mean for that to come up as part of the conversation. She's there to, you know, that's not her expertise, but we just got into right. a conversation about it. And I said, yes, I've always been extreme. And so that's mm -hmm. part of this. And she said, well, if you want to stretch these things and you need to, and if you want to, the part of what's causing you the pain is that you you need to be more flexible. And I was like, okay. Mm -hmm. And she's like, Ooh. make it a little at a time. You don't have to do it all today. In fact, you can't. So don't try. And so that Man. was sort of like this <laughs> to me, it was like, oh, okay. I don't have to do it all today. Mm -hmm. So don't even try. I was like, oh my God, mm -hmm. what a relief. So, and I, I kind of correlated that to my sobriety, you know, a little bit every day. A little bit. <laughs> yeah. um, so where can people find the, the Sober Rabbit? They can find the Sober Rabbit um, on Instagram. Uh, it's I post to uh, Facebook and Instagram. And so on Instagram, Instagram.com slash Sober Rabbit, um, Facebook.com slash Sober Rabbit comic. 
And then if anybody wanted links to my stores or Patreon or even just some uh, behind the scenes drawing type stuff, you can go to soberrabbit.com to find everything related to me. Awesome. It's it's such <laughs> a great comic and it really does resonate <laughs> with me and obviously a lot of people. So mm -hmm. um, thank you for thank you for talking. Thank you for sharing, honestly. And um, it was really nice to meet you. And um, I'm looking forward to uh, Sober Rabbit Comics in the future. Oh, thank and, you so um, much, John. And, and thanks know. to Mishka for, for hooking us up. That's yes, so nice. Yes, yes, <laughs> Um. All right. Thanks again, Whitney. Thanks. Thanks again for listening. Our music, as always, is by Neglect. You can find more of his stuff at neglect.bandcamp.com. And you can find us on all social media platforms that matter, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can reach us at aisforalcoholic at gmail.com. Talk to you later. Yeah. <laughs>